Thank you for listening to a message from the Oak Haven Church. The following sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning worship service. We hope that this message will be helpful to you and encourage you to explore the Word of God. And now, this week's message. So this is what I know. When you're singing opera, there's lots of going on at the same time. There are things going on physically, mentally, verbally. I've got to stand with good posture. I've got to breathe deep and sing from my diaphragm. I've got to remember what my words are. If they're in another language, I've got to remember what they mean. I've got to remember where I'm supposed to walk, and I've got to relate back and forth with my, my fellow cast members. And while we are telling a story on stage, the audience is watching us. And all of these things are things for me and all of us to be intentional about what we're doing. But also, some of it has to be by habit. It has to be something that's so ingrained, ingrained in me that I don't have to think about how deep I'm taking my breath because I've got to think about what the, you know, so many other things. So that's a bit of a metaphor for, for what we've been doing since I wrote it down, July 19th, as we've been talking about how we function and what happens as we are a church. There are lots of things going on at the same time. Some of them we can give more thought to than others some that should be deeply ingrained habits that we don't have to think about. But at the, by the same token, it's always good to go back to the basics and remember, and remember, is my breath pushing out against my back? And because that's what, you know, and remember the basics. It's, it's, an, important, it's an important exercise. And so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've personally enjoyed walking through these as we've been uh, going to church together. Now, now, this was launched, in fact, by someone who's not here any longer, who asked the question, why should I bother to go to church? Inferring that I have faith in Jesus, isn't that all I need? And I hope that in the course of our, of our discussions, it became clear that uh, there was more to it than that. It wasn't just about what I get out of being here. But if, if you're going to ask that question seriously and you're a follower of Jesus here in this first week, one of the main points we looked at was if you're following Jesus, then go to church because what? Did Jesus go to church? You bet he did. He never missed it. So just on the most basic level, following Jesus, go to church. But we also began to look at the role of, of what happens when we are together. The role of music is extremely important in all church fellowships, but especially in ours where we are, as they say, the music, or at least have been before the pandemic and, and all, the, all the technological reliances uh, we've developed. And becoming one voice together is a spiritual activity, not just a physical one. And it rubs off on us in ways that we won't go into today, because we're going to briefly touch on each theme. The next week we look at Jesus, and, and it's fitting that he is the, begin and the beginning and the end of everything. Uh, the scriptures, the book of Revelation of these meditations, and we, we focused on his worthiness through the lens of Revelation. Remember the lion and the lamb. 
the, uh, the predicament of who is worthy to open the scroll in heaven because to, to, for, for salvation to come, for the rescue of humanity to come, the scroll must be opened and lived through, essentially. And so the Lamb is worthy. And so Revelation 5 is the core of our life of reality because of what God has done through the Lamb. So let's read through this. Uh, your parts are in bold italics. Try and picture this. We don't have special effects, but we have the brains and imaginations God gave us. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying together... Oh, let's try it. I can't hold my hands up and click forward at the same time. Sorry, folks. Let's say it together. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And right there, our identity is set. We are a kingdom of priests to serve our God based on what the Lamb has done, what the Lamb has accomplished. Our identity is members of the kingdom of God. Our mission is, is to be exile busters, is, is, the, uh, is the term we've used in the past, that, that people cast away from God's presence are brought back into it like we have been because and through Jesus. Once again, we just have to do a, just a giant broad stroke on these, but I think it's important for us to, to kind of bring them back before us in these major themes as, as, as they combine to, uh, to come in for a landing this week. So, uh, going to church, uh, you, guys, you guys know your math, and so that's, that's a little exponential thing, but giving is greater than getting. It goes to the heart of that question, why should I bother what's in it for me? And what's in it for us is, is our role, is how God is going to use us Hebrews 10 talks about it directly. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. So, you may not be here today. For you, you may be here today to be an encouragement to someone who needs it, to put an arm of comfort around someone who's, who's suffering loss, to pray for our brother Jim, who's in the hospital and facing, facing a challenge. You, you, you are here because you are part of the family. You are here to, to encourage one another, to be the voice of the Spirit in, in encouraging and motivating one another. So 
the need to be here is one that's far greater than how am I being fed, but it also, and not that you're not supposed to be fed, folks, but also how am I being used? There's more to it than, than, than what I'm getting. It's what God is giving, what I am giving as an act of worship together. So fourth week, and we'll, we'll move quickly. Fourth week, uh, we had some, this was in August, we had some heavy thunder, heavy summer thunderstorms coming through. And so there was, there was, a, uh, there was a, a coincidence of the reading with the storms on the sea. And Jesus walked on the sea and Peter walked on the sea. And when Jesus took, uh, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and put them on the storm, that's when Peter began to sink. And we were, and still are, but we are coming out of it, we were in the thick of the storm right then, of the pandemic, the swirl of, of pandemic and politics and everything else going on. It was important for us to keep our eyes on Jesus and know that he was going to carry us through the storm. And he has. There were two large sections that, that we uh, did repeated um, uh, weeks on, and the first one was the table, because it's, it's hard to argue that there's anything more important that we do together when we gather together around the table on Sundays. And we tried to look at it from several different perspectives, and I uh, unashamedly uh, used a lot of material from John Mark Hicks and his book, It's a Table, Not an Altar. And I'm just going to let him speak for himself uh, here a couple times. I don't see, there we go. The communal dimension of the meal is extremely significant. The meal involves God, priest, and worshipers. This is referring to Old Testament sacrifice practices. The communal, the communal meal uh, of those, uh, of the, some of those sacrifices. So that, that the meal includes family and friends or even the larger community. Once again, we, we said, if you're sacrificing a bull, and it all has to be eaten by sundown the next day, you're going to have to have a big party so that you're at the table with God, eating this with your community. So the community participates in the meal. God is a participant as well. The meal exhibits the relational dimensions of Israel's faith. No one eats alone. No one eats in isolation. Israel eats as a community in fellowship with God and each other. That's going to connect with the, with, the, uh, with the practice of Corinthians later on, how they're all focusing on themselves and not on the body around them. Paul takes them to task for, um, for pursuing an individual experience at communion that doesn't include the, the body around them. And that's exactly the point that he's making here uh, in connection with the uh, Old Testament uh, sacrifice meals. It is a familial act, an act of family where worshipers sit at table with family and friends in the presence of God. Once again, against the individualism that, that, our, that our culture fosters in us. Then shifting to language about the New Testament, the blood of the covenant establishes our relationship with God so that we may eat in his presence as we affirm our allegiance to the covenant, participate in the forgiveness of the altar, and experience the presence of God at the table. The table is the experience of reconciliation and fellowship. 
While the altar may be a time of sadness, penance, and guiltiness, the table is a time of joy, communion, and commitment. Just like Mike led us in today. It's a, it's a time of celebration, not of, um, of uh, self-flagellation and individual self-focus, but of rejoicing and, and recognizing the body of Christ alive and well right next to us. So, uh, uh, speaking of those Old Testament sacrifices, um, even though this is the, the quintessential Thanksgiving um, table, uh, uh, we use this opportunity to look at some of the other, fla the Thanksgiving flavor of sacrifice in the Old Testament system, and other ones as well. Um, uh, so, and, and made that connection with the Corinthians focusing on themselves um, and focusing again on, and repetition is an important thing for, for learning and remembering, whether it's how the Italian goes in, in La Gazza Ladra or, or the important uh, concepts that we're, we're trying to, to hang on to in, in terms of, once again, we're sitting at the table with God himself in a celebration of the peace he's brought in relationship with him and his son and his spirit. Uh, further in the table, we talked about, guess who's coming to dinner? That for in Jesus' ministry, there are people at his table that the religious leaders thought shouldn't be at his table. Everyone was welcome at the table with Jesus. Uh, that's also the week we, we, we noticed that, that very different people very different from one another, were welcome at the table. Where we had, in the twelve themselves, we had an apostle who was seen as consorting with the enemy, uh, Matthew working for the Roman government, having a sense from most that he had betrayed them. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we, we had Judas, who was ready to, to uh, have, a, have an armed revolt and, and, uh, and, uh, and conquer uh, Rome. And so, you couldn't have two more diametrically politically opposed positions than those, even today. And yet they were at the table together. They were part of, of, Jesus, um, of Jesus' family. Uh, neither, was asked to, uh, neither was asked to leave, uh, and, but also neither of them stayed in the same place uh, in their, well, I guess we can't really say that for Judas, can we? But we know that Matthew, Matthew was transformed in his uh, in his walk with Jesus. So also, uh, as we thought about the role of Passover and communion, Jesus could have chosen any of the festivals to associate his death with. And the one that, the, the one that our practice is more in sync with is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that would have made more sense for us if we wanted to continue uh, continue our individual focus on our own sins and our needs to feel less guilt because of the, our need to feel forgiven versus Passover, which covers over our sin with the blood of the Passover lamb, but also celebrates being freed, being freed from the slavery of sin and death. And so his choice of associating with Passover is significant and something that, that it continually refreshes me uh, after we've uh, discussed that here. I'm really trying hard. 
can you take, uh, oh, there we go. Did you do that or did I? Okay, uh, number nine. Number nine, Sunday supper. Okay, we, we mentioned this a little bit in class last week. Remember, the shift of worship from Sabbath, which was Saturday, to Sunday is something that, that is off my radar quite a bit, but is huge, that just by gathering here on Sunday instead of yesterday, which feels crazy to us, but is how, is how worship was done for, for millennia. So the fact that we're worshiping on Sunday, that, that, that represents a new creation. Like we've talked about uh, a boy, a, a Jewish boy is circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, it all goes back to that first week of, of creation. Those first seven days when God created. The boy is circumcised on the eighth day because God is doing a new work in him and through him. Same thing with Jesus. He was raised on the eighth day because God is creating anew. He is shifting the universe anew with this uh, eighth day uh, resurrection. And, um, and as part of each mealtime, uh, the overflowing joy of what God has done and the fresh new creation is, is there. Once again, it's, it's one of the things that's going on that, that doesn't cross our radar very frequently. Okay, can I do this, or will you just, will you just go forward whenever I put this up? Uh, thank you, sorry. All for one. So this one, we really went back to Corinth and, and their divisions. As, as, as uh, I had the dates for this, but this is especially as things are heating up in the election in the fall, and it's, it's important for us to remember our primary identities are, are being children of the king. Before you're anything else, before you belong to any club or sports team or political party or country club or union or neighborhood or gender or race, you belong to Jesus. And we are to live like that and love like that. That is what everything else is based on and flows out of. And, and the Corinthians were a good lens for that because they were letting their differentness in their culture keep them apart from each other. They even took communion apart from the other ones. And the call of Paul to take your eyes off yourselves and put them on each other and come together uh, was a, a strong and powerful one. So now what? Going to church 11, uh, once again, we, we, we talked about bringing all the themes of the altar and table together and remembering that instead of spending the time re-sacrificing Christ, which is an emotionally kind of the, the traditional way to go about it, that instead we make it a Thanksgiving meal, which is what the word Eucharist means, Thanksgiving. Celebrating and giving thanks that he is alive and well, right next to us in the chairs beside us. Then we shifted from the table to ancient words and began a second series within a series. And uh, uh, let's use our theme scripture from Luke 24. Uh, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And this actually happened on the road to Emmaus on, on Resurrection Day. So just a week ago, these words were spoken. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning, beginning with Moses, code word for the law, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so we embarked on a journey looking at the scriptures and seeing how they're all pointing to him. From the very beginning, Jesus and his coming and his raising from the dead is planned and, and discussed in the scriptures. And uh, we talked about the, the Old Testament from the, from the Jewish point of view being referred to as the Tanakh, Torah, the law, Nevi'im, the prophets, and Ketuvim, the writings, which we will uh, see for a moment in a moment. But first, uh, in a nutshell, described the arc of the story of how everything's pointing with Jesus. And we went there last week in class, how God's call of Abram, as soon as he can call him, right? We've finished the proto-history of Genesis of why things are the way they are. And the first story after that is Abram. And the rest of that story goes to Jesus. Abram points directly to Jesus and his coming and his raising from the dead and his rescuing all nations. Abram becoming the blessing to all nations in Jesus. And so then we took a step back and kind of unpacked individual sections, the law, how it creates the nation that's been promised to Abram, how it gives God's people an identity, how it points to holiness as the primary uh, issue in our life with him and how his provision of holiness for us is going to have to happen. So I, I'm sorry, we're, I, we, we can't... Um, we can't go deeply into all of these, but I, I think the, the arc and breadth of them also speaks, speaks to, like I said, everything that's going on in this place and in our lives. The prophets obviously spoke to the nation of Israel when they were stepping outside the law and urging them to stay in step with God and, uh, and urging, urging us in, in the same way. And then... Finally, the, uh, the witnessing writings include things like the Psalms and, and Job and Ruth and Esther, which are snapshots of the law and the prophets being lived out in the lives of God's people. And as we think about the time in between, uh, we took a break at the end of the Tanakh and celebrated Thanksgiving and Jesus being born, which was... Uh, Perfect, because as soon as Jesus had been born, we went to the Gospels and learned, and, and just, just from the example we'd just been through in our looking at Luke and Matthew and the birth narratives, and how different they are, uh, uh, gave us a, an insight into how the Gospels operate as four distinct portraits of Jesus, not one saying, this is it, and there, there's a new law in town, and this is how you, you tell the Jesus story. But for creative examples of people telling the Jesus story in ways that matter uh, more specifically and more powerful to the people they're writing to. Then once that gospel story is, is, is finished and Jesus raises from the dead, then he gives his power to his people, to his church in the book of Acts. And we see that power establish the church and spread it across the, the, the world, the known world then, 
uh, especially through the Apostle Paul. And then as that new church struggles in the face of persecution, the epistles, the letters, especially the book of Hebrews, and then through Judah and James, their unifying message is one to hang in there. And I, I remember how pertinent this message was then, just in terms of where, where, what they're calling uh, uh, pandemic fatigue and other things that we've been facing, just the, 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 the simple message of staying faithful, hang in there, Jesus, Jesus will care for you, and Jesus is coming. And then that brought us to revelation and the promise of Jesus' return. And it's even stronger message to persevere in the face of persecution, to recognize that, that there are difficult times, but to recognize that God is in the midst of them carrying us through. And then finally, we, uh, well, it worked too well. There we go. And then finally, we took a, we took a step back and looked over the course of that study of Scripture itself and how, how amazing God is in knitting together. We, we, we looked, at that, looked at that in Psalm 30, 139. He not only knits us together, he knit the Scriptures together with this arc of, of tale that is an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And as, uh, and as it all comes to an end, um, once again, it, the, the, the whole of the Bible ends with Jesus being at the center. He is on the throne. He is the Lamb who is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Um, and, and the epic love story that it all tells is in this room every time we gather. We are part of it. We can be part of it every time we have a conversation with someone else as it moves on through us. So, I have ended the program by accident. Can you start it from, <laughs> can you start it from the bigger picture or wherever we were? Yeah, okay, good. Now I'll pre press the right one. We also spent a, a Sunday talking about tithes and offering because it is something we do together as a church and it's an important aspect of our life. It is an act of worship. Remember, we, we went to the beginning that worship was sacrificed with Cain and Abel. Then Abram sets a precedent. Well, folks, I'm afraid there was a technical glitch, and that's where the recording ends this week, although there was some of the best preaching of my life after this point that no one will ever hear. But I hope you join us again next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Oak Haven Church. We're located at 2175 Witzel Avenue in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. To hear previous podcasts, visit our website at oakhavenchurch.net.